Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. As the 19th century Austrian politician Clemens von Metternich famously said, when Paris sneezes, Europe catches a cold. After two years of a pandemic, we hardly need proof of the interdependency of public health. What we do need is collaboration and strong leadership. To answer this need, steps forward the IAP Young Physician Leaders Program. By selecting young physicians from around the globe and focusing upon developing their leadership potential, countless people benefit. Our guide for this important topic is Dr. Joe Ivy Buford. Dr. Buford explains both the program and those institutions like ESMT in Berlin and the World Health Summit that support it. Prepare to feel inspired next on Sound Practice. My guest today is Dr. Joe Ivy Buford. Dr. Buford is Clinical Professor of Global Health at New York University's School of Global Public Health, and she is Clinical Professor of Pediatrics at NYU School of Medicine. She has held leadership positions at Health and Human Services and more professional executive titles than I can recite. It is my honor to welcome Dr. Buford to Sound Practice. Thanks very much. My pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for your time. I'm very interested in your involvement with the IAP Young Physician Program uh, that, that trains young physicians from around the world and links and networks them uh, together. Can you tell me a bit about the history of the program and the current strategic plan for it? I, I'm happy to. Um... This program was launched in 2011 by uh, a global organization called the Interacademy Partnership. It's a network of national academies of science and medicine um, worldwide, has 149 member academies with four regional networks and represents 30,000 plus scientists um, around the world in more than 100 countries. So. Uh, the group that focuses on health, now called IEP Health, decided in partnership with um, the World Health Summit, which is an annual uh, meeting in Berlin uh, in October every year created to bring attention to health issues globally. Uh, it's also sponsored by the M8 Alliance, which is a group of academic health centers and medical universities worldwide. Um, to really look at how we could create a leadership training program for physicians under 40. We wanted to get young leaders that had you know, longer careers ahead of them. And in looking at the opportunities for physicians at that stage in their careers um, at a global level to get exposed um, to people from other countries in a systematic way, it was largely if you were a researcher. And we thought it was really important to offer such an opportunity to physicians that might have a different career track in mind, like clinical practice or education or health policy and management or public health, health services research. Um, so we um, got some funding from, I, wanna, I always wanna give credit to the donors from the Tides Foundation and uh, the uh, buyer, a pharmaceutical company actually, was very interested in this regionally and globally. 
um, ed their education fund um, to start the program in 2011. And it's been going annually since then, except for last year, obviously with COVID, uh, because it, it's a kind of program that has to be done um, in person. So that gives you a sense of, of how we started and happy to go into more detail on who the folks are and where they're from and stuff, if that's of interest. It certainly will be, but could you give our audience a flavor for the type of topics that are most uh, interesting or of most interest to uh, the young physicians? Well, um, the, the program we've been running is really focused on them learning leadership. So they come from multiple specialties of medicine. Uh, they come from uh, very different, uh, you know, but clinical backgrounds. Some are researchers, educators, clinicians. So I think the real, uh, we emphasize leadership. So if you ask me, I think they're, these folks uh, in this program are picked because they have shown evidence of leadership behavior, leadership activities in their special area. And they, um, ha they have to write a little essay on a leadership role they've taken in their own societies to improve health in their countries. And so it's a pretty specialized group. So when you ask about their interests, um, obviously they wouldn't have tried to get nominated for this program or been nominated if the focus wasn't the fact that they see themselves as leaders in their own areas of choice, you know, in medicine, whether it's clinical or education or policy. So um, it kind of, you know, in their professional roles, their day jobs, as we'd say, they, you know, they focus on anything from cardiovascular research to neurosurgery to, um, you know, developing NGOs, you know, to have more less expensive prostheses in low income countries. I mean, it's just runs the gamut. But that's sort of, you know, they want to be better leaders to take forward the areas they're interested in or within their own specialty area. Let's step back a moment and, and talk a little bit about your career as a physician leader. Could you share some highlights of your career? Well, um, I, I don't want I won't go back too long, but um, I actually was a psych major in undergraduate and uh, was interested in applying to medical school. But it was during a period, um, you know, in the 70s when it was very biomedically oriented. So I applied to the University of Michigan, got in. Um, it was one of those, you're the kind of student we want if you can make it kind of conversations <laughs> in terms of uh, not, I wasn't, so I've never really quite been the typical, you know, medical student or physician. I got interested very early in, um, in management and policy, primary care, community health. These are all, we're not the mainstream career tracks uh, in, in medicine during my career. So um, it's been a kind of, a, I sort of have had this kind of values uh, commitment to working with underserved populations and dealing with, with health equity and inequities from my whole career. But I'd say the path has been a bit zigzag. Um, so I've been uh, in, I ran a residency training program at Montefiore Hospital in the Bronx for, five years. I was a Robert Wood Johnson Health Policy Fellow for a year um, and then came back to New York, uh, went to work for the Health and Hospitals Corporation and was there. Public, this is the largest public hospital system in New York City. Um, was there for seven and a half years, was president for four and a half years. Um, and then I went to Europe, which was very atypical. Everybody told me it would be a career ender, but I was interested in it anyway. So I went to work um, at the King's Fund, uh, 
college in London and uh, worked as a consultant there with organizational development um, at a time when um, Margaret Thatcher had just announced a major reform of the National Health Service, which was a bit of a surprise to all the people leading the National Health Service. It was done at a, at a news conference on a Saturday night um, and everybody was sort of trying to figure out what that meant exactly. But the following two years was fascinating because it really was developing the many of the structures that from a US perspective looked like quote unquote privatizing the National Health Service, but of course it wasn't um, at any level. So I got a really good exposure to that. Then I uh, was uh, chosen to lead the Kingston College for two and a half years, then came back to the US um, in the Clinton administration as principal deputy for health for four and a half years, New York, uh, back to New York for as a dean of the Robert Wood Johnson or the, so the um, Robert F. Wagner School of Public Service, which was had a health policy and management track, but was not largely health. It was urban planning and public administration. So I got was super interested in all of those areas. Um, then ran a nonprofit, the New York Academy of Medicine. I was president for ten years. Then um, now back at the uh, well at the at NYU, but in the uh, School of Global Public Health, teaching really global health, doing global health pretty much all the time, which has always been my hobby and my sort of deep pa secret passion. But um, but now I'm able to do it, you know, full time you know, teaching with you know, with young people and working on urban health globally. So that's that's the the route. <laughs> and that I assume is what attracted you to the IAP Young Physician Program. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I had, in my experience, felt that physicians who were, you know, attracted to the kind of career path I was taking um, initially were not very well supported. I think uh, physicians going into management in the United States has really evolved dramatically in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. But initially it was a kind of very you know, strange choice and not a lot of support. Um, and uh, so my experience, I've always sort of tried to uh, encourage young physicians. People send me the, what I call the quote unquote deviant physicians, the ones who are going, who are not going into biomedical research or a, a traditional career. I try to encourage them to hang in there and stay with it. And it's gotten much easier over the years because I think organizations like physician executive groups and others in the United States have become quite supportive. And interestingly, in, in Europe, there's been a good bit more support for physicians seeking management and leadership roles in policy um, than there was initially. So this program um, was really reflects that feeling of wanting uh, young physician leaders from around the world to meet each other and meet the, realize that they're not alone in their journey um, and then hopefully stay together in an alumni network, provide peer support for each other, and then uh, be able to lead next generation uh, physicians in their own countries. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about the deviants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a you, dangerous uh, word to use these days, but you understand in context. But it certainly attracts, uh, it attracts interest. Yeah. So... <laughs> You've told me that they are under forty, yeah, and come from different countries around the around the world. Roughly, how many are admitted into this uh, program on an annual basis? Uh, we have we have admitted between twenty and twenty five uh, young physicians. They are nominated 
by their national academies of science or medicine and the members of this MA University Academic Medical Center Medical University group. Um, and they're vetted by um, experts from the Interacademy Partnership who are not involved in their nomination and selected in that way. So, um, so far, uh, we have a new class coming in in 2021. We're very optimistic. We weren't able to hold it in October in Berlin, but they're planning it for the regional meeting of the um, World Health Summit in Rome in June. So we're, we have our fingers crossed. Um, and 24 new uh, fellows coming in in this class, but up to now it's 213 globally um, from 50 countries and uh, uh, 140 of those 213 are from low and middle income countries, 21 different low and middle income countries, which is very exciting for us. Uh, and an amazing opportunity for the young physician leaders to meet, really meet physicians from around the globe. And we're also very happy that 41% of the uh, of the fellows are women, and 59% are male. So um, it's nice. a really terrific representation and diversity experience that they have in their classes. So, does a specific fellow or two stick out in your your mind an interesting story uh, to give our audience a little bit more feel for the type of individuals that are joining as fellows yeah i uh, there are a few um stories that are interesting i think it's important to remember that as physicians under 40 even 10 years out a lot of these folks are still you know early mid-career or mid-career so we imagine you know even more great things will come of it. But we do have uh, one of our physicians is a neurosurgeon that was in our 2015 class from Macedonia, um, became and is now, I believe still, the health minister of North Macedonia. So that's a quick leap. I mean, he went from mm -hmm. this program about three years later um, as a, an active neurosurgeon in Macedonia to this particular uh, position. Um, another uh, of our young physician leaders from Turkey, um, as a woman physician was chosen by her peers to present to uh, this global meeting of the World um, Urban Forum. And although she's now working uh, as a faculty member at the Earth Institute at Columbia, she was chosen to be on the Lancet COVID Commission and has been um, Global Health Commission, very involved in something called the Global Happiness Commission, which is a group looking at, there's a lot of researchers looking at happiness indices, and she's particularly interested in vulnerable population. So oh, I think Godspeed to her. Yeah, she's a real star. And I think um, we'll be we'll hear a lot more from her. Um, and then a couple of others just from different parts of the world. Um, we have a young woman uh, from Malaysia from Kuala Lumpur, who's an epidemiologist and a um, public health physician, social activist, who's been doing a field study on COVID-19 in the Rohingya community in Kuala Lumpur. Um, and is part of a, of a regional network of equity initiative fellows that are really look young physicians and health work, public health workers looking at equity issues in the health system. And um, another, I just for something really different, um, Helene Rossino, who is one of our 2015 fellows, is a public health physician in France. And she started her own NGO called Jump for Health, which is working on caregivers in France. She's recently published a book, which is in French, hasn't been translated yet, um, called Caregivers, the Invisibles. And she's really committed to raising the profile of caregivers worldwide. She's a 
very accomplished public, public speaker, ran for office as a young physician in the Macron, uh, first Macron election. She was not elected, but it uh, gives you a flavor for uh, the level of her activism. So it's a really, um, really broad group. Uh, and they're all just doing really exciting things. There's a, on our website, there's a sort of alumni profiles and most of them keep them up, which is great. So we can track them. That is very nice. It must be exciting to to work with such a, such a group. You mentioned meetings in Berlin as well as is Rome. Can you tell us a little bit about the annual meetings, the type of sessions, and how all of that works? Yeah, um, the uh, World Health Summit was created by colleagues from Charité, which is a major teaching hospital in Germany and Berlin that sort of made it through as a if you will, bipartisan health care institution um, during the division of Germany and then post-war. And uh, it would, they were celebrating their 300th anniversary and wanted to have the equivalent of a kind of, if you will, Davos for health. And it's uh, the meeting is held in Berlin every October. It's co-sponsored by the president of France and president chancellor of Germany um, and has become a really uh, magnet, I think, um, experience conference uh, for uh, private sector individual. I mean, a lot of companies are very involved, international UN agencies, as well as health professionals in education and clinical professionals from uh, medical universities and healthcare delivery systems worldwide um, who are interested in global health and in global context for their work. Um, it lasts about three days. Um, it's uh, curated by the Charité Secretariat and represents um, everything from announcements of um, world, you know, world, of world importance uh, from WHO or UN agencies to uh, spotlighting public-private partnerships. For example, the Novartis Foundation has been involved in upstream cardiovascular prevention with cities around the world for a number of years. Uh, Novo Nordisk has been involved in diabetes prevention work. They present their initiatives um, at this meeting. And a lot of uh, thanks to the charity, charity philosophy, a lot of young um, health professionals, physicians, especially from Germany and from the European region are encouraged to participate. It usually brings in over a thousand people um, every year. So it's a, it's a different kind, but it's very focused on uh, health systems management, you know, medical education, health professions education um, in institutions that have a, uh, a sort of global connection, global footprint. Dr. Weaver, can you walk me through the process by which someone would apply to become a fellow? Yeah, um, they are, we put out a, a call for applications. The call is really sent to the leaders of um, these uh, 149 national academies that are national academies of science and medicine that are members of IAP and to the members uh, of the, uh, the so-called M8 Alliance. Obviously it's many more than eight institutions at this point in time, it's more in the 20 to 30 range. And um, then it's, it's, it's on the public website um, and other, we think a lot of alumni we know um, contact their colleagues and say, go to your academy, you know, get, uh, get nominated. I mean, they're not able to self-nominate as yet, but um, they're through these institutional nominations. And then uh, once they are nominated, there's a form that they all fill out. And 
<clears throat> a letter is written in support by the nominating organization. And then those are um, reviewed over the summer and uh, the fellows that are chosen are uh, notified usually in August, um, early August, late July of their nomination. And then the funding allows us to um, bring them to Berlin for this essentially six day experience. Three days is very much leadership development training and then three days as presenters and participants in the World Urban Summit, which um, it follows immediately upon the, the, the leadership development workshop that we conduct. Well, that's fabulous. Now, you mentioned that the class of fellows uh, is, I think you said north of 40% female, and certainly mm -hmm. we're seeing an increase in women physicians around the world and women applying to, to medical school. Are there particular skills that young women physician leaders need? Well, I think the real issue that's expressed by many of the women is not they feel they don't necessarily have the opportunities or visibility of their male colleagues in their, you know, in their respective countries. So I think the issue for them is how do they establish themselves? How do they create networks? How do they identify mentors that can really support, you know, sponsor, champion their um, their movement in, within their careers? I think that's still a it's not a, they're no, they don't need any skills that are unique to, to um, women. I think the, the interesting part that we take up in the workshop is the fact that so many of the skills in the literature that women leaders, and I would say fem, leaders with feminine characteristics, because many men have so-called feminine leadership traits. I mean, they are very focused on open communication, on nurturing their teams, on um, sort of sharing information on flatter organizations, which are really um, marks of success, many flexible and successful organizations going forward, much less command and control than traditional healthcare organizations have been. So, uh, but some of those leadership skills are often disappeared um, within the traditional models of top-down leadership. So we, we talk about that a lot. And I think a number of the men who are inclined towards more of a um, sort of emotional intelligence led leadership, you know, developing themselves, developing their own capabilities with other people in addition to the technical and sort of conceptual skills that they wanna learn, um, find it very rewarding to hear about these conversations. And then uh, for many men, especially Asian men in parts of the world, uh, they do feel very strongly the stereotypes um, of being opaque, being passive, relatively passive, et cetera. So these are all areas that are seen as, I'm not, they certainly aren't, but um, that, that may hinder their advancement into executive positions. So these are um, terrifically um, rich conversations because they're happening with young physicians at sort of the same career stage across the world. Fascinating. As we close out our, our time, together. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share related to your philosophy of a physician leadership or anything else about the IAP Young Physician Program? Well, I think one of the, uh, one of the really strong uh, requests from those physician leaders, and I know it's been important in my career, is the importance of mentorship. All of them mention that, especially being mentored by physicians who have 
uh, are in leadership roles and value um, this next generation, giving them that experience, giving them that support. And what for many of them may be, you know, a more challenging journey than following the usual um, path in research or in, in clinical practice or in medical education. And I'm only speaking about physicians here. So um, I think that would be a message that um, those of those colleagues that have really assumed clinical leadership roles, leaderships in medical education, leaderships in um, social change, really public health, health services research, really keep an eye out for young physicians that um, have that same career path, are seeking it, take the time to give them, tell them about your journey, provide them support through their own. I think that would be a message from this experience and from my own experience. Dr. Buford, thank you so much for being on Sound Practice. This has been uh, very, very interesting. Well, thanks for inviting me. And uh, I look forward to other people getting more active globally as well <laughs> in the leadership role. So thanks so much. My thanks to Dr. Buford and the IAP Young Physician Leaders Program. Their story is uplifting. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Man Robin. Rick Kapow.